podcast is provided for general information and for general information purposes only and does not replace your financial, tax, legal or finance product advice. Hello everyone and welcome to The Female Investor, your chance to listen to two of Australia's leading property experts talking about all things property buying, finance, strategy and lots more. Kate Hill and Nicola McDougall are the authors of the book The Female Investor, Creating Wealth, Security and Freedom Through Property. Kate is an award-winning property mentor and coach, a qualified property investment advisor and founder of buyer's agency, Advisable. And she's a successful property investor herself. Nicola is an award-winning and prolific property journalist. She has been involved in property research, analysis and reporting for 15 years. And she is also a successful property investor herself. Property investment is one of the simplest, safest and preferred ways for women to create financial freedom. And with the right information to make an educated and informed decision, this can be achieved. If you know a woman who is concerned about her financial future, or maybe that's you, if you're keen to improve your chances of creating an income for life, then this is your place to learn, be inspired and motivated. Along with some special guests, Kate and Nicola will be offering genuine practical news and tips to women of any age to stake your claim on the property market. So come on, ladies, stay tuned and let's do this together. Hello, all you lovely ladies out there. It's Kate here. How is everyone doing? Let me know. So today's topics are going to include a conversation that I had with our very good friend Tina Howes from Smart Move about all things deposits and LMI, which is Lenders Mortgage Insurance. Tina's, as always, has some fantastic hints and tips for us. And I've also got for you a bit of a strategy session about why it is important to make a property plan. It's one of my little strategy sessions. So stay tuned. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to mine and Tina's Property of Finance Explained. So we all know when we go to buy a property that we need a deposit. So Tina, explain to us what is a deposit? How much do we need? What's involved in all? Okay. All right. So I guess let's break it down back to basics. If you are buying a property, generally speaking, there is a purchase price that you need to come up with the money for. In addition to that, there will be costs attendant to the purchase. Mm. Now, depending on where you're buying, whether you're a first-home buyer, whether you're an investor, mm. generally we, we need to cover off costs such as stamp duty, uh, legal costs, some bank fees, yeah. whether there's a buyer's agent. Yeah. So as a general rule of thumb, you need to allow for around 5% in addition to the purchase price to cover those costs. Yeah. Now I'm just going to leave first home buyers to the side for the moment and we can we can cover off yeah. that shortly. Yeah. Okay. So in addition to having the costs covered, so that 5%, with the purchase price, the preferred lending guideline for any lender is 80% of the value of the property. Mm. So if you're buying for a million dollars, that's an eight hundred thousand dollar loan, and that requires a 20% deposit plus those 5% costs that I was talking about, okay? Now, where that came from, essentially the banks have looked at the history of time. If they had to step in, sell up a property, mm. go to the market and foreclose, how much of their money are they going to get yeah. back? Yeah. And they deemed that $0.08 cents to the dollar 
is essentially a reasonable figure for them to feel comfortable and then they're not going to be in a lost position. Mm. Now, over time, that figure has probably actually risen, but it's stuck, okay? So you can actually get a loan for more than 80%. However, to do that, essentially the bank wants to cover their position by taking out insurance whereby, and we've heard the term LMI, lender's mortgage insurance, and it's basically an insurance premium that the bank takes out on you that you pay for Mm. that covers them Mm. in the event they sell up your asset and they don't get back all of their money. Yeah. They're able to claim that difference Mm. from the mortgage insurer. So you're you're really you're paying for the privilege of not having to come up with that yep. full twenty percent deposit, and you're Correct. covering the bank Correct. for the risk that they're yep. taking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Now, so there are some banks that will go up to eighty five percent without that mortgage insurance. Mm. There are other lenders that, based on certain professionals, so doctors, lawyers, uh, there's a few others on yep. that list, mm. depending on the lender. They might let you actually borrow up to 90% without that mortgage insurance, okay? And that's because that bank has taken a risk that that profession essentially is highly unlikely to default. Mm. So they're prepared to go to that loan amount without that insurance. Mm. In terms of first home buyers, for example. Yeah. So depending on where you are, uh, in terms of we're in Australia at the moment. Mm. So whether you're in New South Wales, whether you're in Queensland, every state will have different rules around stamp duty, what the threshold is, what the eligibility is, what the mm. criteria is. Mm. In addition to that, some states will have what we call a first home buyer's grant, whereby if you're going to live in the property, generally speaking, it's for around uh, six months yeah. within the first 12 yeah. months of yeah. the year, then you may be eligible for a first home buyer's grant as well, which is basically mm. some cash back at you, mm. okay? Mm. More recently, the government implemented a scheme whereby they would actually become the mortgage insurer, yeah. allowing you to not pay mortgage insurance and to basically buy a property up to a certain threshold and therefore reducing the amount of deposit that you have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now the thing with these schemes is they change rapidly. Mm. The availability of okay. this first home buyer scheme limited you know, places. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, and again, if you're purchasing at the higher level, generally those those schemes don't really apply. Mm. Yeah. They, they have those price points. Which yeah. Yeah. And they're aimed at. Obviously, the low demographic price where but, they're assuming the first home buyers, those are entry level price points, which I think yeah, is fair yeah, enough. Yeah. Mm, yeah. 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 Yes. So, so that is definitely worth exploring if you are a first home yeah, buyer yeah. for an owner occupied property. So, if we're, let's assume you're not a first home buyer, mm-hmm. there could be situations where paying LMI mm-hmm. is worth it to preserve cash, for example. Yeah. Some people yeah. use as a bit of a strategy. So tell us a little bit about, you know, when paying LMI is worth it, really. Okay. Is, right. is, it, is it worth it just to get yeah. into the market? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So typically speaking, people come to me and they say, we've got this much money, mm-hmm. yeah, this much money, these are our expenses. How much can we borrow? How much can we buy for? So the thing that we look at is borrowing capacity, but in addition, how much cash do you have? Mm. And it's very common that, particularly in Sydney, for example, if you're renting, which is expensive, and living in Sydney, you may be professionals, you may have 
good strong income but your ability to have saved a significant deposit mm. may be limited um, so if you believe so you have two options you can essentially go back and save up more money so that you have this bigger 25 percent deposit Mm. Or you can look at potentially using mortgage insurance to enter the market sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah. So when do I recommend mortgage insurance or when do I think it makes sense? If the time it took you to go away and save up that extra money was going to take that much time mm. that in the meantime the market has continued to go up and up and up and then when you come back and see me, that depositing has increased to the level where you then got to go back and mm. save again and again and again. Mm. Mm. So you end up chasing your tail. Yeah. And it can get to a point where if you look at the mortgage insurance cost, yes. um, get into the market and it's over the 30-year life of the loan, yeah. in, that, in that situation it can absolutely make sense to me. Mm. If you're a person that's decided to rent best, which, you know, rather than buy an owner-occupied property, you'd rather yeah. pay rent, live yeah. wherever you choose to live, um, and want to have that ability to move around depending on life and whatever mm. it throws at you, mm. and want to buy investment property after investment property after investment property. Again, if you've saved up enough deposit to buy one property and potentially want to buy two properties, but you would then have to keep saving and risk the market going up and up and up, mm. using some leverage or going up to, say, a 90% loan, including the mortgage insurance, yeah. might enable you to buy two properties, for example, or be fast track um, onto that second property or that third property. And and I would say also, and then you're, you're using less of your precious cash to put yeah. it into an investment property with the loan on which is tax deductible. You can save that cash to then perhaps put towards an owner-occupied property that you might buy you know, in a few time, I guess. Yeah. 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 And, you know, mm. there are situations where some clients have the cash for a 25% deposit, mm. but they choose to mm. keep some aside so that they can yeah. buy a property that is just slightly more, mm. which perhaps has a better risk profile for them in mm. terms of their, you know, their requirements yeah. and objectives. Mm. Um, and they decide to mm. actually pay the mortgage insurance, mm. keep a bit of their cash as a buffer. Uh, in case something goes wrong or in case yeah. they need to spend a bit of money on property mm. or if they're without a tenant and so forth. So it can be a bit of a risk mitigant strategy as well. Yes. So I think the moral of that story is it is worth considering. I think, you know, there are people out there who, who are very staunch, no, I'm not paying LMI, yep. I'm not paying LMI. Yep. I think there is a case for it. Yeah, mm-hmm. as, you, as you've explained fabulously. Talk to us a little about downsides of, of uh, that LMI scenario. Right. Mortgage insurance has a cost. So, you know, people often... Not cheap. <laughs> yes. Uh, but mm. in addition to the cost, it can often mean that the interest rate that you pay on that loan is a bit higher. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that is definitely something to consider. Mm. Generally speaking, if the property goes up in value and then mm. eventually you get to a point when you're under 80%, then you can look at potentially refinancing and getting mm. a lower interest rate. Mm. Um, but the flip side to that is if for some reason you did want to refinance that loan, you can potentially have to pay mortgage insurance again if it's still over 80%. Yeah. And your mm. leverage when you, mm. you know, it's very common for me to go back to the banks uh, for my clients and ask yeah. them to give a lower rate, particularly yeah. when I know the market is reduced. Yeah. But if they're in that mortgage insurance territory, it's very mm. easy for the banks to say, no, sorry, no. Yes. because 
they yeah. know that they're going to need to pay the mortgage insurance again. Yes, yes. And it's it's actually, uh, personally speaking, just a little personal story there. You know, I bought a property a few, maybe five years ago or so using LMI to, mm. because I didn't have the, literally for an investment property, I didn't, I didn't want to spend the full 20%. And that has now grown sufficiently for me to be able to negotiate a better yeah. interest rate, you know, on yes. that loan because it's grown in value. They've, yeah. they've looked at it. They've gone, oh, yeah, yeah no, you're good now. <laughs> yeah. so, you're a refinance yeah. risk now is yeah. basically what they're asking themselves. That's right. Yes. That is how I positioned myself in fairness. It was like, come on, guys, give me a better rate. Okay. So any other points then, Tina, about sort of deposits, um, LMIs? Um, probably what, the key what one. Other, and what other know. options do people have? Yeah. yeah, I'm hoping this one changes, particularly in the, the mm. bigger cities. But once you start to borrow more than a million dollars mm. in mortgage insurance territory, it gets much, much harder. Mm. So there becomes limited lenders that actually yeah. participate in that space. Yeah. The ability to negotiate better interest rates on that mm. reduces as well. And it, it just becomes a, a harder proposition all around. Mm. You need to tick a lot of boxes. Yeah. And when you're only dealing with a small handful of lenders, it just opens up a, a bigger risk in that, you know, I always feel more comfortable with a client when they're they're buying and negotiating on properties, particularly at an auction, for mm. example. Mm. If I know that if I have an issue with evaluation, I can go to lender number B or yeah. Yeah. Yeah, lender yeah. C as well. So that's what, just something to be mindful. Yeah. And what so what other options would somebody have if they, um, you know, in terms of getting their hands on a little bit more cash? Yeah. And look, probably something that's very, very common, particularly for my client base, is some kind of parental assistance. Yeah. Um, if you looked at the stats, it's mm. very common for family loans, family gifts, parental guarantees. Yeah. But, yeah, definitely explore what profession you're in, making sure that there's no LMI waiver for you and explore the options of parental guarantee as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Gosh, that is a lot just about deposits, lenders' mortgage insurances. There is a lot to consider. I think there are many morals of our stories there, but I think it is... It's If anything is clear from our whole series, it's so important to talk to someone like you, Tina, to, for people to not to stroll into a bank. <laughs> there's so many options out there that I think people aren't always aware of. Mm. You know, there's a lot of planning that goes into this. Like you said earlier, you're, the considerations for your future of how you do and don't use equity, how you do mm -hmm. and don't use cash. So everyone, be sure to give Tina a call, discuss all your mortgage breaking needs, and we will do a video very, very soon. Great. Thanks, Kate. Bye. Bye. Okay, everybody. I really hope that you found all of that helpful. Tina is such a mind of information and knowledge and expertise when it comes to all things property finance. Next up, I have got my strategy session for you. It's called your five-year property investment plan. This 
So today I, as advertised, I'm going to have a bit of a strategy session with you about property planning. Now I know, I know, here we go again with the strategy case, but you know what I'm going to say. It is really, really, really important to think about this stuff. It's kind of super easy to get carried away with making investments, jumping in, buying property or shares. But as a property investor, it really is so, so important to have a plan. Have at least, I would say, a five-year property investment plan that ensures as you go that your actions match your intentions. And having a close eye on the key details of this plan will help you do just that. There are all sorts of things that you might have planned. Think these through financially. Perhaps you plan to have a baby and expand your family. Now, how is that going to impact your income? Quite a lot, I would think. (laughs) If so, what will you do to allow for those extra expenses? How would you cope with the extra expense that comes with that? Are you planning to move house anytime soon, buy a new home or change jobs or are you emigrating? You also need to know where you're heading financially. Where do you want to be financially in that time? What do you want your net worth to be? Now, remember, we did talk about this before. See one of the previous episodes where I am telling you all about how to calculate your net worth. So what does your property investment plan look like? Your plan is something very personal. It is a personal roadmap that will help you make all of your property investment related decisions from buying and selling, maybe renovating, refinancing. It really should be a working document, though. It needs to be flexible. It is going to change as life throws stuff at you, right? But so that you can update it to reflect changes in your life and your personal circumstances. And you maybe aim to update it perhaps every six months or so. Don't be looking at it every week. (laughs) You're not going to have that much to update and property doesn't actually grow that quickly generally, right? So make sure that you're still on the right path when you do schedule those check-ins. So your plan should be tailor-made to suit you, your financial position, so that you can be sure you're making every dollar work for you. When you're creating your five-year property investment plan, you need to consider where you want to be in five years' time. Now, of course, there's nothing to stop you doing a 10-year plan, a 15-year plan, right? I'm just starting out with that five-year plan. Make sure that you have at least that, right? Five years is kind of the minimum that I would say. Once you've sorted out those goals, you can work backwards from there to what you need to do this week, this month, this year to get to that point in the, at the five-year mark, right? And obviously revisiting it, as I said uh, a second ago, Uh, you are checking in to make sure that you are on track. And if you're not, why not? And do you need to adjust it? But for example, uh, let's say you currently own two investment properties and in five years time, you want to own five. Uh, You can also, of course, see and listen to other content where we're talking about how many investment properties you need. This means you need to buy three more properties within this five years. So your five-year plan should map out exactly how you're going to achieve that. 
And if for some reason this is just not feasible, then how do you go about adjusting the plan or get advice on what you need to do to make that happen if you're finding that's not feasible? What do you need to do to make it feasible? There's many, many factors out there that are going to influence your investment plan. And let's loosely group those under three headings, which I'm calling finance, family and lifestyle. So we're going to start with finance. Finance considerations includes things like interest rate changes, loan refinances, rent increases on any existing property you have, as well as if you yourself are renting, your income fluctuations and your ability to get loans approved when you need them. Now, that is obviously going to be a little bit hard if you're not a broker. You might not always be able to assess that, right? So working with a good broker is critical during this process. If you're buying property during this time, then the really important consideration here is serviceability. Rents are likely to rise a little bit each year, which will offset some increases in interest rates. But rates could easily scale up by perhaps 2% higher within several years' time. They generally don't go up a lot each year. But over the course of five years, you might find that that is happening, especially at the moment we're coming off a very, very low base. Okay, so considerations could be, do you and if you've got a partner, have you got steady jobs? That's going to affect your serviceability, right? How much do you have in savings or buffers for any unforeseen events or emergencies? I'm always a big one, right, on those buffers. If you have property, then how leveraged is your existing property portfolio? Look at that loan to value ratio. If interest rates do go up, will you still be able to afford to maintain your investment properties? That's why cash flow is so important, right? As you hold your asset for many years, you need to make sure that you can afford to do that. Where will the deposit come from for each new property? Are you looking at saving a cash deposit each time? Are you looking to use equity in existing property that you have? You might need a combination of the two. You need to work this stuff out. Have you got an independent, qualified and experienced advisor, buyer's agent, qualified property investment advisor working with you? Your answers to all of these questions, I guess, that I've just been asking will help you determine what your financial goals are going to be for the next few years. If your goal is to buy three more properties, you might decide that you need around fifty dollars to $100,000 in savings or in usable equity to purchase each new property, which will then cover your deposit, your buying costs. Now, this means you need to save that amount each year or your existing property portfolio needs to grow in value by that amount or, like I said, a combination of the two. You might be able to afford your portfolio now, but how will you manage if your mortgages cost you an extra $1,000 a month, for example, because of rising interest rates or if you lose one of your incomes or your own income. Moving on to family. If you are planning to start a family or whether you want to have more children, how are you going to manage those extra costs on top of any rising mortgage costs if you've got them, right? So your considerations could be, 
are you planning to have a child in the next few years, either your first, second, third, however many it is? And would this impact your income stream? And if so, how do you plan to replace that income? How will you cope with the extra expenses that expanding your family might bring? And remember that the banks, <laughs> rightly or wrongly, look at kids as a massive drain on your serviceability because they cost you money, right? So you need to factor that in to your timings, if that's possible, of when you're going to have it, be having children and timing that, like I said, if possible, we're up to my, we're leaving things up to Mother Nature here too, of course, and timing it with your investment property purchases. Your answers to these questions will feed into your financial decision making and help you work out a realistic budget. And then we have lifestyle. These are also some of those considerations around lifestyle to make and think through. How often do you want to travel? Where to? And do you have a budget for that, right? If you've got this quite aggressive property purchasing plan over the next five years, you might need to sacrifice your $10,000 European holiday every year. It's not going to be forever. And these sacrifices and compromises, I assure you, are very well worth it. Maybe you don't need to compromise, but think it through. If you increase your portfolio, will that impact your future travel plans? Do you plan to update your car in the next five years? Now, I'm, you know, I'm not the lifestyle police. I'm not a massive believer in buying a new car every couple of years. I've got this ancient, literally 22-year-old car. <laughs> it's on its, it's, actually, it's been going pretty well. It's not on its last legs, but it's being driven into the ground. And it is the absolute last thing I want to have to spend money on. But that's me. Do you have savings put aside to cover health issues that might come up? Now, you know, obviously, depending on your age, that is either going to be right at the forefront of your mind or less so. But factor it in, you know, it's a bit gruesome, I guess, and a bit morbid. But, you know, things going to happen. You might get sick. You might have an injury. There's going to be all sorts of things, like I said, that life throws at you. So have those things, have money put aside, work on having those buffers. If you are upgrading your rental property that you live in, perhaps that's going to obviously impact your weekly money. Your rent is likely to increase, right? So all of these three areas that we're talking about here, finances, family, lifestyle, they cover most of those factors that we sometimes don't consider properly when we are making longer term plans and working out our finances, right from health and well-being through to travel lifestyle choices, right? Really, really important here is to live within your means. I know this is where you're all going to sigh, roll your eyes, but it is important, guys. The sacrifice that you might feel like you're making actually might not turn out to be that much of a sacrifice. And I promise you, when you've held your property portfolio for 20 years and you've got money rolling in from rents, you will thank me for it. <laughs> you need to make sure that you are living within your means. If you are determined to go on the next expensive family holiday, then perhaps you need to revise your end goal, aim to buy two more properties in the next five years rather than three. Is that sacrifice worth it? You need to work out your priorities. And the most important thing in all of this is to prepare and budget ahead accordingly so that you don't overextend yourself and your finances. The last thing you want to do is buy all these properties, 
find that something's happened or you're having more kids or whatever it is of the, all those things that we've just been talking about and you find that you can't afford to hold the property and you've got to sell, might be at a loss because you're selling at an inopportune time, you've had all those buying costs, that is the last thing really that you want to end up having to do. If you don't have a plan, then make one. Just start with a five-year plan to help you achieve your five-year goal and then work towards perhaps your 10 and your 20-year plans and goals. All right. I will leave the lecture there. Very happy planning, everyone. And that's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and found it super useful. You can email us with any questions that you have on info at thefemaleinvestor.com.au. Don't forget to order a copy of the book, The Female Investor. You can go to your local bookstore, pick it up on Amazon or Booktopia or anywhere that good books are sold. And you can head to thefemaleinvestor.com.au where you can click on the links and also find lots of resources on property investing, news, hints, tips and videos. We will be with you all again soon. Stay safe and well, everyone. Bye for now. Bye for now.